This is the Anthem CDA podcast, a church in the heart of downtown Coeur d'Alene. Join us as we seek the presence of God, learn from his word, and build lifelong connections. We hope this week's teaching brings life and encouragement. Welcome to Anthem. I want to read something to you from the word of God. Uh, It's from Malachi. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. It was 300 years that that message was given and the people in Jerusalem started hearing about this guy, this guy that was different, this guy that was, it seems as if he came in the spirit of Elijah and he's out in the wilderness And he has a message. But let me remind you, it was 300 years of waiting. You know, we sometimes think the U.S. is old, right? We're about, what, 248 years old. Imagine that. But there's a stirring. The Romans are in charge. There's this desire for freedom. There's this desire, or could it be true that the long-awaited deliverer would come, would come in our day? So who is this guy? And he's out in the wilderness, probably a sight to see, camel hair, locust honey for his meals, And his message, his message was slam the brakes and turn around. Or we might say, repent. Repent because the messenger, I am the messenger, and guess who's coming? I'm not worthy to do anything, I am not the Messiah but I'm the messenger. And we need to prepare ourselves because he's coming. Our long-awaited Messiah, Mashiach in the Hebrew, is on his way. And my job, my job is to lower the mountains, raise the valleys, and make his way straight. My job is to prepare you to hear the message of the kingdom of God. The kingdom that's been long awaited for, but he's right around the corner. This is the message. This is the beginning of the book of Mark. We are waiting for the kingdom 
We want to identify the kingdom. We want to hear the word of the Lord. So I decided that I would give you a visual. We're going to turn the lights out, and I'm going to show you some slides. And instead of reading the text to where we are today, I thought I would just give you some visuals, okay? First up, that happens to be, if you were with me, and we walked down from about 12 miles down from Jerusalem, we would hit the Jordan River. This is the Jordan today as it looks, but I wonder if you can imagine it in your mind's eye, what it must have been like when John was there, and he begins to proclaim this message of repentance. You need to slam the brakes. You need to turn around. You need to go the opposite direction. You need to prepare your hearts to, to receive the word of the Lord. And I wonder what it was like for John here in this murky river. Happens to be a special place for me because I had the privilege. I was going to embarrass my oldest grandson who's here today because I had the privilege of baptizing him in this river. And I actually have the video, and I threatened to show the video, and he says, no, you can tell them that I got baptized there, but no, don't show the video. So this is a special place for me. But I want you to imagine what it must have been like then. We're told by the historians that there were Hundreds of thousands of people that made their way to hear John. All of Judea, all of Jerusalem came down to hear this guy. And did I mention it had been 300 years since this message was first prophesied and now was given. And can you imagine what it must have been like as John is there, and you know John... He had a baptism of what? A baptism of grace? A baptism of hope? A baptism, was he a seeker-friendly guy? I got a feeling John had that reputation that when he baptized, he held you down a little bit longer than you were comfortable with, right? And as you come back up, I don't think he just embraced you. I think he said, now, you better bear the fruit that models repentance. Can you imagine what it must have been like to see people making their ways down? And then there was one day, one day, that as the crowds were around this river and people were being baptized, that John, in a sense, pumped the brakes and said these words so familiar to you but imagine being in that crowd and he says these words, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And we're told in the scripture that Jesus makes his way into the water with John 
And can you imagine the emotions of John? John, in his words, said, we've got a reversal here. I'm not worthy to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, for the sake of righteousness, may it be so. Now, we'll never be able to understand or explain the incarnation. It's impossible. We, we, we only know that scripture tells us that, that Jesus fully identified with us as humans, as man, as woman. He understood what we went through. If he didn't, he couldn't help us, right? But because he understands and was tempted in every way, he can be an assistance to us in our time of need. And so it's here that Jesus is baptized for the sake of doing the right thing, for the sake of us understanding there comes a point in time in our lives where we need to turn around, take stock, hear the word of the Lord, embrace his kingdom. And so from there, next slide. Chris showed us this last week. From there, Jesus, I love the Greek um, because the word is that Jesus was, in the English, he was driven out into the wilderness. In the Greek, the word is, bear with me, he was vomited out into the wilderness. All the exits in all of the, like the Colosseum or like the Caesarea or whatever, the exits are always referred to in the Greek as the vomitarium, okay? It's the place of exit. So I want you to understand that Jesus was driven into the wilderness. And Chris talked last week about the highs and the lows, and sometimes when we're on the highs, we're more susceptible to be attacked by the enemy. So what were the highs of Jesus? Let's think fully man right now. He's baptized, and what happens? The voice of the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Then we're told that the Spirit of God, like a dove, descends upon him. We don't know when he knew 100% who he was and what his mission was. That's debates that we don't have time for. But as a toddler growing up, we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Did Jesus say, don't mess with me, I'm the son of God? Okay? Did Jesus ever have to be scolded? Did Jesus after did Mary ever have to tell Jesus, I want you to go to your room and clean it? Okay? Or is he the son of God? We don't know when he came into the full realization, but this had to be a significant moment for him. The father's voice, I'm well pleased. He's 30. 
He lived in Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth, when I first moved up here, somebody told me, you know, you should kind of check out the area before you decide to either build or move up here. And they said, you should check out this place called Athol. And I thought, oh, wow. And so I looked on Google Maps or whatever, and guess what I could not find? Athol. Had no idea where it was at. It was so small at that time, it didn't even make it on the map. You know what? During the time of Jesus, Nazareth never made it on the map. Unknown. The only thing we know about Nazareth is there's probably, there had to be at least 10 families there. But that's about it. So, Jesus now has heard the voice of God. He's been anointed by the Spirit. He's driven into the wilderness. And what does he do here? It's part of his ability to identify with us because he's hungry and he's tempted. And the things that he's tempted by are the things we're tempted with in this world. Remember, He had to go through it so he can assist us. So he was so hungry that Satan said, turn these stones into bread. He could have, but he didn't. He said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on the Lord, Chris said this last week, till I know the time to break my fast. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. I'll say no to that. And then the devil says, well, there's an easier path than the one you're taking. Why don't you choose that? And Jesus says, no. Sometimes we want the easier path. Sometimes we don't understand why bad things happen to good people, right? Sometimes we have to wonder in all truth, why God, why? But do you believe that God has a plan? That he's truly in control? That each day we're to seek his kingdom first and to walk in his ways? And despite sickness, cancer, death, do you know that he promises never to leave or abandon you? Jesus says no to any sort of shortcuts. And then Jesus says no to the miraculous or the pride of life. Or Jesus, if you would just bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you wealth. I'll give you everything. Imagine how powerful your message would be if you just simply had it all. Those are the temptations that we face even today. And Jesus gave us the example. He tells us how we're to fight our battles. And we fight our battles by prayer, And by the word of God, it is written. That's what comes from this place. And then where does he go? Next slide. 
Then he goes home. Luke tells us that he actually goes from the wilderness back up to Nazareth. This happens to be, if you were there, this happens to be the synagogue that's reconstructed in Nazareth today. And it was there that Jesus goes in. And remember I told you, small, out of the way, sort of the Athel of its day. I'm sorry if anybody lives here in Athel. I'm not trying to, you know, downplay that. But anyhow, Jesus now goes and he enters into the synagogue. That's the bema there where the scroll would have been laid out. And he rises and he reads from Isaiah 61. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And then he said, in your hearing, this is now fulfilled. And the response, the response to Jesus, keep in mind, after his baptism, after his temptation, he's now home in Nazareth. He's with his own who knew him. He rises and he says... Today, in your hearing, this is fulfilled. And all the folks of Nazareth did what? Rise up. Where is our palm branches? Let's start waving them. It's Hosanna. He's here. No, they say to themselves, to one another, who do you think you are? And then, I apologize for this next slide. But the next slide is where they drive him to. That ain't Jesus, okay? But this is called Mount Precipice. And it's about 10, 15 minute walk. Nazareth's in a bowl at the bottom. And you have to walk up. But this overlooking the Valley of Armageddon, the Valley of Jezreel, They take Jesus to this point and they threaten to push him off the cliffs. And I wish we had the video of this because it literally says that but Jesus walked through the midst of them. This was an unruly crowd that sought to push him off and yet I wonder the look in his eyes as he walked through. Now, he didn't skirt around. He didn't run down the hill. It says he walked through the midst of them. It's time for the message to be given of the kingdom of God. And so from here, some of my favorite slides. From here, you'll see Nazareth right here. This is where he was. You see Mount Precipice. And he's going to head now to what's going to be his home. And he's going to head up to the Sea of Galilee, all the way to the top, right below the Jordan River, to a town called Capernaum. And on his way, he's going to begin to call his disciples. Now, this is a three-day walk. You can see some familiar places, Cana of Galilee, We'll show you our bell, Tabka. This is the Galilee. This is what Jesus called home. When we think of Jesus 
at 30 years old, makes his way here. He really, if you're thinking Jerusalem, he wasn't there that much. We know, of course, the last week of his life he was. But he would only go up to Jerusalem for the high holy days, for tabernacles, for, for Passover, for, for first fruits. And so all of this has taken place. Jesus now leaves, goes through the midst of them, and is going to make his way. And remember what I told you? What John's message was, was to do what? I need to make straight his path. The hills need to be lower, and the valleys need to be filled up. Make straight, make, make way for the kingdom of God. Make his path Straight. So, now you're going to see the path that Jesus took. Hills, valleys. There's only one way that you can go from Nazareth to Capernaum. You'll go through this valley called the Valley of Doves. And then as you make your way, if, as you're looking backwards, you're looking towards Nazareth. But if you're coming this way, this is the next site that you see. These are the cliffs of Arbel. And off in the distance on your left, Sea of Galilee. And all the way to the very tip that you can see only in the haze, Capernaum. This is where Jesus was heading this is where Jesus would call home. And then from this next slide, you'll see it from atop these mountains, are this cliff. This is the cliff of Arbel. And as you're looking out to the north, this whole area in his days, the Galilee, the Galilee. And then a couple more slides before we get to our text today. About time, right? <laughs> the next slide is again, just, I had to do it. This is my favorite spot in all of Israel, okay? So to, to get to this place and to understand the context of what Jesus is doing, this is where, if you had the phrase school of discipleship, this is where it first took place. Overlooking this area here on the northern shores of the Galilee. And then finally, the place that he's going to call home base. This is the last one. Off in the distance, at the top of the screen would have been those cliffs of Arbel. This is Capernaum. Capernaum. And I don't know if you know this. But of all the miracles that Jesus did, two-thirds of those miracles took place here. And remember, the valleys needed to be raised, the mountains need to be lowered, a straight path because of the presentation now of the kingdom of God. So this is where we've been, and now this is where we're going. So you can turn the lights back on. We're in chapter 1, verse 14. And we read, now after John was arrested, and by the way, we picked that up later 
about his being arrested, but it says Jesus came into the Galilee. And as I've mentioned, this is where he called home. According to the ancient historian Josephus, the Galilee had over 204 villages and we are probably more than two and a half million people in this area, about the size of Kootenai County. This is the area that Jesus goes to. It was not a backward region. It was studied. The scriptures tell us that Jesus came to his own. This would be a religious community. If we lived back then, I know that we usually boo and hiss when we hear this word, but when we say Pharisees, the Pharisees actually wanted to follow God's word. We know the abuses of them, but if we lived back then, we would probably identify with them. This was the region, this was home, home base. Jesus would feel very, very comfortable here. And then, of course, he fulfills prophecy. Because in Isaiah 9, we read that in the latter time, he has made his glorious way, the glorious way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. Out of the Galilee, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So this is fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus would have came out of the Galilee. And then we read that Jesus came into the Galilee, and what was he doing at this time? He was proclaiming the gospel of God. Now I'm going to take you back to week one where Chris was talking about the gospel, and sometimes we think that that's a religious word. Right? We've got the four Gospels. But during that time, it wasn't necessarily a religious word. It was a proclamation or a, a manifesto, so to speak. And you had the Gospel of Rome. Remember, Rome is in charge. And the Gospel of Rome had a path, had a promise, and had a payment. And the gospel of Rome lasted for over 200 years and it saw unprecedented peace and economic prosperity throughout all of the empire. And what was the path? Caesar is in control and your job as his subjects are to pay your taxes. Now, most of us don't realize the severity of the penalty that was given if you failed to pay your taxes to Caesar. Your taxes would be up to half of your total income. And the way Rome worked, because you're all familiar with crucifixions, you're all familiar with Jesus on the cross. If you failed to pay your taxes, you were crucified. And what happened is that the Romans would line the streets of your town. They didn't necessarily have enough wood to make crosses, 
So they would just affix you and nail you to whatever tree with the statement, this is what happens to those who fail to pay their taxes to Rome. Pretty severe, but taxes were paid. And so the path of prosperity, because what Rome then promised was the peace of Rome, Pax Romana. And what Rome was able to offer, as crazy as it sounds, Galatians tells us that it was at the fullness of time that Jesus came. And you know what Rome actually offered to the world that made it great? The Pax Romana. It wasn't what the Greeks did that came before them. Alexander conquered the world and he gave it a common language. Everybody will speak Greek. But when Rome takes over, Rome says, we're building roads. We're going to build Roman roads that's going to unite the kingdom of Rome. That's what they built. That's their, that's their fame, in a sense. 50,000 miles of new roads connecting the entire Roman Empire for economic, for travel. So it's no surprise to us that when Paul says in Galatians, it was at the fullness of time that Jesus came, think about it. How will the gospel be spread? Everybody understands Greek, and you got roads everywhere. That's what Rome has to offer. But the problem is this. The path to Pax Romana was to pay your taxes. The promise was the peace of Rome. And the payment was by Caesar. And there came a point in time with the Caesars that you had to declare your allegiance to them by a pinch of incense and saying these words, Caesar is Lord. That was the payment. The people that benefited from Pax Romana was the upper echelon, not the everyday people. But this was the gospel of Rome. And now John says there's a new gospel coming. And Jesus is going to proclaim the gospel of God. And what is the path? What is the promise? What is the payment? Jesus says, the path to the gospel is for you to come unto me, all of you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In those days, I don't know what's in your mind, but in in, in our minds, when we hear yoke, we think oxen and yoke, right? In that day, no. In that day, the yoke represented the teachings of a rabbi. Jesus is going to say, my kingdom, or the gospel that I'm presenting, it comes if you follow my teachings, and if you follow my teachings, if you take my yoke upon you, here's the promise. 
I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you shalom. And I want you to understand that peace and rest is not exactly the same as God's shalom. Jesus is going to say, if you follow my ways, I'm going to give you a relationship with God that is complete. It's what God intended when he created the garden with Adam and Eve. The rabbis today will say, you wish someone shalom? What you're actually saying to them is may you have the experience that Adam and Eve had in the garden before the fall. That you're completely restored to God. If you follow my ways, if you take my yoke, I'm going to give you rest, shalom. This is my gospel. And the payment, the payment The payment is I'll die on the cross. I'll shed my blood that you can be justified and made right. That's the gospel that's now presented as Jesus is in Capernaum and he begins to call his disciples. So again, the contrast, the contrast between Pax Romana and the gospel of Jesus. Contrary, keep in mind, this is important, the messianic expectation of the people of that day was not what Jesus was presenting. What did they expect the Messiah to do? Get rid of the Romans, drive them out, set up your kingdom. It was a military expectation Expectation. And yet, contrary to these messianic expectations that most people had in that day, even his disciples, by the way, Jesus brings a kingdom not by subjugation, not by power and force, but Jesus brings a kingdom of love. Not by law, not by you better pay your taxes. Right? No, his kingdom will come by grace. Not by pride, Roman pride, Pax Romana, pomp and circumstance. No, it's not going to come by pride, but it will come by humility. Quiz question. You remember back when Chris first started this message, he said, there's a theme, there's one verse that you need to remember when we go through Mark. It's simply this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for the ransom of many. The gospel of Jesus is upside down from what the people expected and what Rome had to offer. So it wouldn't come from pride, humility. It wouldn't just be for the Jews. It's going to be for all men. And it won't be imposed by force. It has to be voluntary. The contrast of the Gospels. 
And then we read that Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, Jesus is saying, the time is now. There's two Greek words for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos basically just means chronology. It's like, just pick it out. It's just your daily time scope. But kairos literally means right now. Jesus is not saying casually, the time is coming when I'm going to bring my kingdom in and present it. No, what Jesus is saying, now is the time. Now is the time for the kingdom. And so the question is, obviously, what is the kingdom all about then? If the kingdom's at hand, if the kingdom is now, if, the, if, if it's among us, then what is it? Two examples of kingdoms. A kingdom, state the obvious, has to have what? A king, right? And then the king will make the laws and the king will define the culture. Now in our days, I'll give you two examples. Because as Christians, we're gonna sit here and say, what's the kingdom of God for me today? So I'm gonna give you the example. If I pulled out the Saudi Arabia flag today, it's green, it's got Arabic, and there's a sword underneath it. And it's not actually the Saudi Arabia flag, it's the kingdom of the Sauds, okay? It's an absolute monarch. The king sets the laws. Sovereignty, right? I'll give you another example. England has a king, right? But the king of England is not the same as the king of Saudi Arabia. The king of England is ceremonial. It's historical, we'll look back. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling of the monarchy that we have. But the kingdom of Britain is not controlled, the culture, the laws, is not controlled by the king of England. On the other hand, the king of Saudi Arabia is gonna dictate culture, he's even gonna dictate wardrobe. So when we think about the kingdom of God, the question that I have for you is who's our king? Our king's Jesus. What are the teachings of our king? Well, there's the ones we like, right? The teachings of our king. Who does not like the story of the prodigal son? Okay? What picture do we have in mind? The father waiting, the father gifting, the father saying, throw a party because you've come back. Who does not love that story? Or how about... I like the good shepherd. I like when I read that he will leave the 90 and nine and come and find me, right? 
Who doesn't love that story? Or who doesn't love the story of the woman that was caught in adultery? Remember that one? And Jesus drawing on the ground or whatever, and the woman is humiliated and embarrassed and thrown into the midst, and Jesus says, he who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And who doesn't love the fact that you've probably heard the clump, clump, clump of the stones falling and the people walking away, and Jesus embracing this woman and say, woman, go and sin no more. That's the teachings that we like, right? Or are we like the fact that Jesus hung out with the tax collectors? He just wasn't an elitist, wasn't just a religious guy. He's an everyday guy. That's the teachings, that's the culture that comes from our king. But what about the teachings we don't like? Do we have to keep them today? Is the kingdom of God really in our midst? Or is the kingdom of God still yet to come? And before it actually gets here, we just need to kind of do our best and make do. We, we want to live in England. We're, we're glad we got a king. And it's Jesus. But, you know, don't tread on me, man. Okay? Let, let me decide what's right and wrong for my life, for me. So what are some of these teachings of our king? Do you like his teachings about money? Do you like his teachings about how to deal with your enemies? Do you love those? Or how about conflict resolution? This is how you deal with problems that you have. You actually go to people and you look them in the eye. You don't just say, I'm out of here because you don't agree with me. You like those teachings? You think he really means it? Of course, we have my favorite, politics. Don't you love that? Oh, we've got to love that. You know what Jesus does? When he's threatened or asked about Caesar, he pulls out, he goes, anybody got any money here? Pulls out a coin and holds it up and says, whose image is on this? And they see Caesar's. And then he says these words that are still haunting to us today in our culture. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And render unto God the things that are God." I don't think this is a feel-good message, but I think Jesus anticipates and expects his followers to be all in. I think the reality of our witness to the world around us, the volume of our witness is not with our words. The volume of our witness is not in our buildings. The volume of our witness is not in verbal messaging. The volume of our witness is seen by our behavior. I'm gonna wrap up, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. Jesus then says, 
Not only is the time fulfilled, Kairos, it's now. Not only is the kingdom of it is at hand, but you, you need to repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance speaks of a change of direction, not sorrow in the heart. We cannot come to the kingdom of God unless we're willing to leave behind our sin and our self-life. The ancient Greek word that Jesus used for believe means much more than knowledge or agreement in the mind. It speaks of a relationship of trust and dependence. The great commentator J. Campbell Morgan wrote this. There are many people who believe the gospel, but they do not believe in the gospel. It was an appeal not only to accept it intellectually, that it's accurate, that it's a statement, but the key is not to know the gospel. The key is to live the gospel. And so we have a choice. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Although we must live here until he calls us home, we have a choice. We can hail, we can worship, we can bow to our king. And we can realize that what he said is his expectation of how we live. We're not looking for a bus stop, that we're waiting for the bus that says the kingdom of God is now here to get onto and go to. But we're to live in this world now. Truly, if we embrace the kingdom, we're sojourners in this land. We're aliens in this land. We're exiles in this land. For y'all, you country western folks, you know this line. This world ain't my home. I'm just passing through. The kingdom of God is in hand. The question is that do we worship the king that's in control? Or do we worship the king of England that's ceremonial? And if it's the king of England... All you have to do from time to time is bow or curtsy, right? But if you worship the King of Kings, if you worship the Lord of Lords, you're not just going to curtsy. You're just not going to lower your head. You're going to bow before the King. And you're going to ask the King in this day, I need help. I need to turn around. This is not a message intended to produce guilt. 
Let me tell you the good thing. Today is the day of salvation. Yesterday is a distant past. The question is where are we today? Who's our king? And then I told Chris I'd end this way in case I messed this whole thing up on the kingdom of God. Because the truth is, is that this is why we selected Mark. Up to this point, it's a great introduction. But if you want to answer the question, so what's life like in the kingdom that we're supposed to be living now? You need to fasten your seatbelt. Because for the next year, (laughs) we're going to be in Mark. And we're going to ask ourselves, how then should we live? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to reach out to us or see what we currently have going on as a church, head to anthemcda.com or find us on social media at anthemcda. We can't wait to see you next week.